Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Primetime on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly with Shazad Haq. Now it's time to catch up with our friends from Bloomberg to find out more about the big stories they've been tracking. And today we welcome back Faris Mokhtar, journalist at Bloomberg. Hi, Faris. Well, uh, we know that, of course, you've been keeping a close eye on the property market. Uh, we're coming close to two years, as I mentioned earlier, into this COVID-19 pandemic. Businesses have been squeezed. Borders have been closed, although, of course, as we said earlier, slowly opening now. And yet, despite all of this, Singapore property prices have continued to rise. Now, according to the latest flash estimates from the Urban Redevelopment Authority, private property values climbed 0.9% from the previous quarter. That's higher than the 0.8% growth in the second quarter, but lower than the 3.3% increase in the preceding period. Faris, what is driving this momentum? Hi, hi. So just simply put, the market is still, you know, very resilient despite mm-hmm. the stop-start changes, you know, that we are seeing in Singapore's reopening plan. And, and that's primarily because on one hand, you have sellers who want to cash in because, you know, the, the market is hot. And on the other spectrum, you have buyers who think that it's better to enter the market now than later on because otherwise prices would continue to rise. And, you know, just, just to give a sign or like, you know, to, to show like, you know, how hot the market is still is, you know, back in August, I reported that you know, in the first half of this year, you know, over $32 billion sing dollars were spent on, you know, home purchases. And that is Singapore's biggest frenzy in more than a decade. And that was even double what was recorded in Manhattan over the same six months. So the market continues to, to be resilient. And I think it will continue to go on this trajectory till end of the year. Who's buying who's 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 buying these properties right now, Faris? I mean, as Shazad mentioned earlier, businesses have been squeezed. It's not an easy market. Where's the money coming from? Well, clearly it's not me. So <laughs> likewise. So, well yes, well, I mean so you have quite a few sectors that are really, really doing very well. First, you have the resale market. I mean, it's doing extremely well. You know, as the saying goes, all is gold. But I mean, these apartments aren't that old. But you have HDB owners who have sold their flats because the HDB mm-hmm. market is also doing very well. So, the, you know, uh, when they sell their HDB flats, you know, they are looking to upgrade to private housing. And, you know, other people are turning to the private resale market because of, you know, delayed construction of new private apartments. And then you also have, you know, the luxury market, which has been, you know, really going, you know, over the roof. We have property firm Orange Tea saying in its report last month that, you know, luxury home sales in prime areas have hit a 10-year high in the second quarter. And, and this sector primarily is benefiting a lot from wealth creation and, and a search of wealth, you know, uh, among uh, Asians within the Asian region. Uh, but also not forgetting that, you know, Singapore's draw as, you know, a tax heaven as, you know, with its stable economy and stable politics, you know, they are also drawing, you know, a lot of the other ultra-rich from outside Asia. So that's actually prompting, you know, the luxury market to do really, really well. Faris, you've talked about the luxury market here and also you mentioned HDBs earlier. So what kind of areas are we talking about? Surely not just prime, not the central core uh, areas as well, is it? 
I mean, we are talking about, you know, quite quite a number of them. I mean, we have, I mean, the outside central region, OCR, you know, has been doing quite well. You know, the, the prime area, the central region, although in uh, based on the recent flash estimates by URA, prices in that area has dropped a bit compared to the preceding quarter. I mean, but it's still very, very resilient because you still have, you know, the ultra-rich driving purchases. And then you also have the rest of the central region where, you know, quite a number of these resale private apartments are located at and they have been doing very, very well. So it's really across the board, actually. Do you think we could see conversations of cooling measures resurface? Well, I think we have seen a bit of that. You know, it's not as intense as it was, like, for example, in the first first uh, half of this year. But it was in September last month that, uh, you know, DDS Group Research actually raised in the report that the authorities will still keep an eye on uh, price movement and that, you know, chances of tightened property curbs will remain high. But so far, there hasn't been as much speculation, hasn't been that much concern as we have seen really in the first half of this year when prices were really going up very high. I mean, I'm sure the authorities, including the central bank, you know, they will still keep an eye on this because I think, you know, it is a very important as the central bank has, has raised, which is to ensure that, you know, homes remain affordable and that, you know, people can still pay their mortgages and all that. Uh, but at the rate that the prices are, Right now, I mean, you have in the second quarter, prices only rose by 0.8%. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, based on the flash estimates for third quarter, it only inch up by 0.9%. So it isn't moving as fast as many people uh, would presume. So at this point, judging on, you know, the price movement, I do not think that, you know, the government will step in anytime soon. But I think it's definitely an area that they will continue to closely monitor. You mentioned there that the the government will keep an eye and, and the momentum maybe is just slowing a little bit. But that upward trajectory, you, you see that for quite some time to come? It is, it is. I mean, you know, we have, you know, like I mentioned earlier, seen quite a number of stop start changes. I mean, mm-hmm. developers have put off, you know, new launches because of the uncertainty of it. I mean, uh, because of the restrictions, Potential buyers can't actually, you know, go on mass, uh, you know, in the market to view uh, new apartments or even retail flats and all that. But I mean, last month's sales, you know, they still hovered above a thousand. It is very, very resilient, surprisingly in some sense, but it just shows how much of an appetite, you know, both locals and foreigners have on Singapore's residential property market. And, you know, for the rest of the year, we will see some new launches coming in and, you know, maybe once after this uh, new Titan restrictions, you know, are eased, uh, people will still go out and view homes and all that. So I think the price traje- trajectory will, will remain resilient and prices could inch up, you know, for the rest of the year. We're speaking with Faris Mokta, journalist at Bloomberg. Faris, you mentioned just now a bit about the construction sector. Let's move a little bit from, you know, million dollars to some of these billion dollar transactions that we've been seeing happening in the market. Last week, for example, Malaysia's IOI Properties Group won a tender for a land parcel in Singapore's prime business district for 1.5 billion Sing dollars. Do you think this is a bigger indicator of the commercial market performance, 
the lack of competition or the successful bid price? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that, that recent transaction clearly sends a strong signal that, you know, there will be demand for Singapore's office properties in the sense that, you know, there will be people leasing spaces, developers uh, and the real estate market as a whole are convinced or are con- confident that, you know, leasing prices, rental prices will continue to go up. I think that that transaction really reflects the sentiment in the market because at this point, you know, we, we have seen how Singapore's return to the office has been slow mm. and there have a lot and there have been a lot of questions about, you know, whether uh, working from home will be a permanent thing, a permanent situation and whether, you know, there is less demand for offices. But at the same time in the past year, we have also seen companies expanding. As much as there are companies downsizing, you have companies expanding and a majority of them are actually the tech firms. So you have ByteDance, you have Amazon that, you know, in the past few months have actually gotten bigger office spaces. And there are, it is likely that you have more tech firms coming in or even, you know, more financial firms through, for example, like investment firms or family offices looking to set up in Singapore. And there would be demand for, you know, spaces in office buildings. So, for example, you know, a report by Jones Lang Littell, uh, last month also said that, you know, the top flight offices in the financial district will continue to be a growth trajectory over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Rent could, could potentially see gains of 25 to 30% by 2025. And I think that, that reflects a lot of confidence in Singapore's commercial properties, especially when we are talking about office properties. You know, it seems almost counterintuitive now when people are not wanting to go back to work or, or preferring to obviously have to stay at home and uh, companies are saying uh, are kind of stuck in saying whether they, they are wanting their employees to return at some point when restrictions are lifted. But it's a, it's a cost that they could just wipe out right now, right? I mean, or, or when their leases uh, come to an end, it's one that they can just say, right, we can either downsize or we can move it. This is more for SMEs rather than the, the big companies to move to working from home and, and reduce that massive overhead for themselves. Yes, but I mean, like, you know, do bear in mind as well that, you know, the central business district, I think they, they cater more to like, you know, the MNCs, the bigger firms, while, you know, the, the smaller firms, you are right in the sense, uh, Shizar, that, you know, I think uh, they, they are also largely affected by the pandemic in terms of their businesses. Mm-hmm. And because of that, quite a number of them have to downsize or right size in that sense. Uh, but, you know, when we talk about, you know, the central business district alone as a key marker or like a benchmark for the rest of office spaces in Singapore right now, it, it is really showing healthy signs in terms of, you know, rising rents and all that. And you also have, you know, business parks like in, you know, One North, like in Changi, that, that are still actually doing quite well uh, because, uh, you know, people are still going back to the offices somehow. And it does look like it's going to be a healthy trajectory in that sense. We'll be keeping a close eye on that. Faris, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. We've been speaking with Faris Mokta, journalist at Bloomberg. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.